Hey y'all, this is Ashley with Created to Connect. We're here this morning with Amy and Rachel and Rebecca. We're on week five of suffering, and today we're going to really talk about suffering as a discipline and just kind of dive into what that, what that looks like. So I guess let's start with Hebrews 12, 6 through 9. And actually, y'all, I apologize. Uh, it should actually, let's start at verse 5. I should have gone back a verse because I kind of missed the crucial part at the last part of verse 5 if you want to start there. Yeah, I'll read that one. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and and live? Thank you, Ashley. So why does God tell us in these verses? There's, there's a lot to unload here, and we will. But why does he tell us not to despise his discipline? Well, because he loves us as his children, and he would not bother to discipline us if he didn't love us as his children. I mean, that's what we do with our children. Um. Gosh, you see a lot of parents that don't discipline their children, and you kind of do wonder, well, do they love their children? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a hard thing to do. I don't think that he enjoys it, but um, we need it, clearly. I know I do. I was thinking the same thing about kids who, um, like, our dad always talks about how nobody ever knew where he was, and he never had any rules, and it felt like to him that nobody cared. When and he was growing up. When he was growing mm-hmm. up, and I think that's still a wound for him, and we, we know, I mean... Research shows, like, kids interpret boundaries as safety and love. Like, mm-hmm. being corrected makes a kid feel loved. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So it's proof, and it's proof that we're his children, right? If we're not getting disciplined, and we're just continuing in sin, and he's not um, pulling us out of that and letting us, you know, suffer through the consequences of that, then are we really his children? Right. That's Not to mention, point. it is for our good. So there's that yeah. too. Like, right. We know yeah. it's for a purpose. It's again with suffering. It's the joy that's set before us that we endure the suffering of discipline. Hmm. We should want that discipline though, because it is again, just like we talked about in the past weeks, it's protection. It is. It is. You know, it is for your own good. Same way we discipline our kids. Right. To protect them. Mm-hmm. Right. What were you going to say, Ashley? Nothing. I was just reading the rest of on down, but I think we cover that in another question. Um, yeah, we're about and I think to. really just getting into what discipline is helps us understand why we should appreciate it and and welcome it, um, and understand you know how we can compare it to how we discipline our children. So, what did y'all get as a definition of discipline? Did y'all look it up? I did. I did. And then did you get a biblical definition or did you just get a... I, what's I your giggled basic? it. <laughs> yeah, tell me what you got. <laughs> so, it said, well, it was biblical when I Googled it. 
um, it said discipline was teaching to obey, obey a set of rules or code of conduct. Um, and some, some definitions I saw included teaching through punishment, which is a little harsh. Right. <laughs> I like the teaching to obey part right. better. And I think that is um, the biblical definition. And I think the definition of discipline in general is to teach or instruct. Yeah. So to instruct and to correct um, to rebuke, but my, the definition I pulled up on, also on Google, but it was, um, I think it was coming from a biblical perspective. It's not to punish or beat anyone. Mm-hmm. It is literally a form of instruction and correction and chastisement, not mm-hmm. in, not the same kind of chastisement that Jesus got on the cross, but a, a teaching chastisement and rebuke. Yeah. Did anybody see anything different? I, I, I did see the whole thing about, so the Latin word disciplina or however you say it meaning instruction and training is derived from the root word desir which means to learn um but from what everything i read i just wrote down you know the goal um of discipline is not compliance um the goal is learning and applying intentional standards to achieve like a meaningful objective so it's like a collaborative process between you and god for change like and I think that, did y'all notice how he says, when he says, don't despise it, that kind of points out to us that discipline, we have a choice in it. It's a decision, right? So we don't have to, it's a collaborative process. We have to choose to receive correction in order to change. Like we, just because you're being disciplined does not mean that you're changing that, necessarily. Exactly. So... I think it's important to point out, too, that correction has to come from a place of love to be done correctly, right? So we know that we have to be grounded in God's love to be able to receive it. I think that's really important. Because who do, do you, how many people do you know that literally cannot receive correction? Like, come on. I mean, I'm laughing but, because but you I can't. do not do But if well you with. know that you love, if you know someone loves you, like, okay, some random person comes off the street to me and they're like, um... The way that you just, um, you know, I don't know, did something with your kids, that is just not the right way to parent. I'd be like, uh, who the heck are you? And you need to back up. Like, you know what? It would, it would make me mad, right? I would not be able to receive that. Now, if my sister comes up to me, Becca, and who I know loves me and respects me and wants the best for me, and she's like, Rachel, like, I just, like, I feel like I just want to talk to you about something. Like, I just noticed that, you know, Eli was feeling, um, upset by this and like I just wanted to share like this is just on my heart and like I'm just telling you this because like I love your kids and I love you what is the difference in that correction there so we can only we have to be grounded and rooted in God's love to be able to receive that correction we have to be a part of that process it is not something that God he gives us free will he cannot just force he can put up he can give us a discipline it doesn't mean we don't have to learn from it it doesn't mean we're we're going to have the change Right. We're not going to reach our goal or his goal unless we're part of that process. Right. That was really, that was an aha moment for me. I'm like, I think an aha moment for me is changing my perception of discipline because mm-hmm. discipline Same. without learning from it, it would be feeling like punishment. That's what it would feel like. And as children, that's probably how they feel. You know, oh, I just don't want to be disciplined. But if we're in a collaborative process with God in order to change and become more like Christ, which is what we're hopefully trying to do then you almost welcome it because it's a learning experience. It's a perception right. that 
I myself need to change where I'm, I want to learn God. I want to learn all about your character and become more like you. The only way to do that is through experience. And then through that experience, there has to be correction. Right. Because it's not going to be, you know, perfect every time you go yeah. through something. Do you know what Revelation 3.19 says? Uh, those whom I dearly love, I tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. So be enthusiastic mm. and in earnest burning with zeal and repent, changing your mind and your attitude. Mm. I'm super enthusiastic about discipline, right, guys? Well, <laughs> look, y'all, when I went back to look at discipline, it's one, I found it's one, it's the root word of disciple. To okay. disciples, yeah. So the disciples were learners of the Lord. So it's it's more teaching and imparting knowledge, mm-hmm. really, than it is even, I think, correction. I mean, it's, you know, it's setting you on the right path, but I think it's really imparting knowledge. And Amy, to your point about gaining wisdom, um, in Proverbs twelve one it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Oh wow. mm-hmm. so uh, you know, there were so many proverbs about discipline, I would encourage y'all to go I mean, there's probably twenty. Um and, and the other part about it that I thought was interesting is it's really not just about ourselves, but it's also about the people that we might influence. Um so um, there was, um, oh, here it is, Proverbs ten seventeen. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Mm. So it's not just about us, but it's about the way that we influence other people. And, you know, if you think about your kids, um, which we're about to get to, but how a parent, you know, trains and disciplines your kids. And it does kind of give you another vantage point on disciplining your children that you bring them up in the way that they should go and they will never depart from it so which we learned this week in our parenting thing what always comes first when we're teaching and guiding our children and and, um disciplining nurture the love Mm -hmm. the relationship the nurture always comes first which goes back to that whole correction has to come from a place of love to be done right Right. which God's the only one that's a, we can look at him as a way of how we are supposed to be with our children. Like mm-hmm. it's his love for us that enables us to receive the, or entrust him enough to receive his correction. Like right. I trust you love me so much that this is for my good. You would never do this if it weren't for my good. Think about how many parents just discipline or punish their children just because they're in a bad mood or they're in a bad mood and behavior show, compliant. Yeah. Just, just so they'll look, make them look good. Just so they'll behave well, just so they'll, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever, be respectful. And that's not the goal of parenting. And that's not God's goal. He doesn't want robots that are just compliant with, with his laws. He wants people who Heart felt change that, and, yeah, that he are in, that do it out of love mm-hmm. and because of their relationship with him, which mm-hmm. kind of leads us. I think it's should be touched on. Getting this definition, Amy, you said that was a kind of aha moment for you and for you too, Ashley, and all of us. How has this definition that we get of discipline, how has you have your own experiences growing up and, and as a parent and as a child, um, how does this compare to your definition? Complete opposite. <laughs> right. I mean, when I was a kid, I never wanted to be criticized. I didn't. And, you know, going going back to 
you have to be a parent that is nurturing and then loving and then the discipline will be more impactful. That's so true. So my dad was more kind of absent. He was just working all the time and when he'd come down, maybe he'd be in a bad mood. So what would he do? Maybe he would yell at me, but it never really sunk in. And so he didn't do it out of a place of not loving me because he really did. He just did it because he didn't know. He wasn't disciplined as a kid, so he didn't know how to do it. But it made me feel unloved. Yeah. You know? That he didn't put down I wasn't disciplined at all. My parents divorced, and I think my mom felt guilty. And she was busy working two jobs, and we just did whatever we wanted to do. And, Mm. you know, a lot of the decisions I made had to pay for later. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in Psalms 94.12, he says, Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble. And so it really is to keep us from making mistakes down the road, Mm -hmm. too, you know. And it's just like teaching your kid about, you know, hanging out with the right people or not Mm -hmm. having too much to drink or, I Mm -hmm. don't know, just decisions that are going to lead to severe consequences down the road. And it's it's for their protection, I think we can look at And that's loving. I mean, it's so loving to be so concerned about someone else's future, you know, your child, maybe even a friend's child. Right. Because I, I made bad mistakes too, and I wish I would not have. Sure, me and had I had more discipline, maybe I would. We're on the same page, I'm sure would. We got we got the 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 discipline minus the the nurturing, the nurturing for sure, They're, and it was very abrasive and very um, painful. So that probably you know, doesn't see, make you feel. I, I think about so the authoritative mm-hmm. and authoritarian, like parenting. So like authoritarian. They, they're both strict, but one is warm and nurturing and one is cold, if that makes sense. And um, like with us, discipline, so like with authoritative, authoritarian parents, they're like, you have to do this because I said so, mm-hmm. because I told you so. And, it, and there's no, the kid doesn't understand why and there's no warmth behind it. But authoritative parenting is the most, what they, you know, they say is the most effective form of parenting there's still those high expectations and there's still strictness, but it comes from a place of warmth and nurture. And that's the difference. And with us, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it felt like the discipline was sadistic. Enjoyed. And in like, it was just a way to take out their anger on us. Someone else. Right. And so for me, that left me feeling like with my relationship with God, I just now for the first time in my life, which I think we touch on this later, can feel like I'm not waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under my right. feet because God's just going to decide one day, oh, you're getting on my nerves, and so I'm going to punish you. and Just because I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, and, because, oh, and I've, I changed my mind about you. Exactly. That's yeah. that's how it was for us growing up. So for us, discipline meant sadistic punishment. Right. It didn't mean teaching. There was no teaching. Yeah, when I think of God, when I think of God um, disciplining me up into a very recent point in my life in the last couple of years, now that I see what discipline means, when I think of God's discipline, I would shudder, you know. I really would. All I could think about is, oh gosh, I've done something wrong and now he's going to ruin my life. He's going to give me this disease oh or gosh. he's going to take my children. He's going to punish me. He's going to make me suffer for what I've done wrong, y'all. Because deep that, fear, y'all. Becca, so, like, we had deep. Like the kind that gives you that yucky feeling all over, like deep anxiety and fear. Not We're not talking right. about just like, oh, I'm talking about like something would happen and it would be like this doom mm. that was 
deep seated coming out of us. That's mm-hmm. really traumatic. It is. It is, it is traumatic. Tra- and trauma. It and is. it's um obviously as he's gotten older, he's seen I think he's seen that and he's been, you know There's a lot of healing there. A lot of yeah, a lot of healing there. But it doesn't change the effect that it has on your walk with God. Our earthly fathers are and our, our first nervous taste. systems. Yeah, our first taste of God is through our 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 earthly father. Um, I think we should just, since we kind of already addressed number three, let's just say, okay, so now that we've talked about that, now that we have a little bit better view of this, does the idea of God's discipline, does it comfort you or frighten you and why? Which is kind of what we just said. For me, it it has frightened me up until a recent point in my life where I'm like, you love me and you're doing this for my good, not because you want to take it out on me and because Mm -hmm. you're angry at me. And so now it's gone from total fright to total comfort, like you're actually, you love me enough to let me go through this and to walk me through this this suffering in order to protect me from myself. Mm-hmm. And so there's a different, I think it takes a maturity with God, and a close walk with him. Experience. Yeah. The experience. We've been through mm-hmm. enough now where I do see that he is trustworthy in yeah. every dark season that I go through. Like it's so clear to me that... I don't, I'm not scared of his discipline anymore. I'm, I, think I really you welcome can, it almost. I really, I yeah. honestly, I'm like, I okay. just know how much you love me, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to see what you do in me through this thing. Like, that, I don't know. We, I have shifted my perspective, which is big for me, I guess. Mm. What about y'all? Y'all feel comforted by it, or? I was a little bit of both, but the stronger my relationship becomes with him, I'm comforted by it because it does show his grace. And his love for us that he wants us to avoid negative consequences. It's not for him. It's only mm-hmm. for us. Right. You know, I know a lot of new Christians might be so fearful of sinning or doing the wrong thing because there's going to be some punishment, and that's not what it is. Sure. The Bible here is a great instruction book if we, if we would sit down and read it. And it will just lay out for you God's loving plan for you through teaching so you can avoid having these negative consequences. Like Ashley said, I was not disciplined well at all when I was a child, and I paid for it. Some of those things I'm still paying for physically. Same. You know, um, that I could have avoided. And, you know, I don't blame my parents for it. I know that there was a lack of knowledge on their part as well, but we have our knowledge book here in order for us to, you know, receive correction and discipline and then mm-hmm. help. Others that are around us with the same thing. All right. So I'm a little bit of both. I'm becoming more comfortable. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think just um, from a a different perspective than just learning and obeying and correction, it's really kind of teaching you to submit. Mm -hmm. And if, if we look back, um, I always go back to Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, you know, submit to, to him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. But I kind of, you know, I talk to my kids about that and I want them to learn to submit to me so that they will be comfortable submitting to the Heavenly Father mm, yeah, um, as point. a way that, that they will... You know, and I told them, I submit to somebody. I submit to the Lord. And so it's not just you that has to submit to me. And Maybe and your I, husband. I try uh, to submit <laughs> to my husband. Sometimes my husband, sometimes not. <laughs> Depends on how he's behaving. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's not biblical. I'm joking. Sorry. Yeah, it is a commandment to submit whether they deserve 
Yeah, that's that's in a whole other talk. Yeah, a whole other talk. We'll anyway, <laughs> yeah, I said both because I I am a little bit scared of what he's going to ask me to do, you know, and not that I'm afraid of being disciplined, but what is he going to call me to do that mm. might be outside my comfort zone? So, um, right. in that respect. Well, we see in, um, if somebody, actually, could you reread verse 11? We're going to see that there's a product of a specific product of our suffering as a form of discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what's the fruit of the suffering? I love that it says peaceful. Peaceful oh, no. fruit of righteousness. I mean, who doesn't want to be at peace? Do you want me to read the Amplified? That's exactly what oh, I wrote. Yeah. Who doesn't want peace? It says, A harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness, in conformity to God's will and purpose, thought and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. And it just as keeps throwing out, I'm, I, like, peace was, like, what stood out to me. It's I'll like, do anything for peace of mind. <laughs> I mean, I will do anything for peace. Like, you tell me that this discipline is going to produce a peaceful life and a life that... Where I'm living in God's will, okay, I'll take it. I mean, that's the fruit that I want, right? So it's not, we know it's not wasted. You know what stuck out to me? Y'all might think I'm crazy. These are little things stuck out to me. It says, to those who have been trained by it. Oh, I wrote Once that too. Once again, yeah. Yeah. trained it's not, by it. Not everybody mm-hmm. is going, it's collaborative. Mm-hmm. Those who have tra- been trained by it. Or you Are you going to allow God to train you in right. this? Are you going to receive this discipline so once again we just see that whole thing like it doesn't mean just because god disciplines everyone that everyone is going to reap the rewards of that discipline it is a choice you have a part to play in it you have free will god wants your heart in it Mm -hmm. y'all i um i'm sorry i'm just gonna keep bringing up these proverbs because they're so good but this one is 24 3 through 4 it says by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Mm. And I just love that. And if we go back to, you know, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, then, I mean, by wisdom and, and his discipline, we are establishing our house through him. And I just love the rare and beautiful treasures. Right. and treasures which is the which is the i've already said i want all the treasures all the (laughs) blessings and all the treasures he wants you to have them he does he wouldn't offer it right i want the gold hey i told somebody yesterday i said you know all the treasures in the suffering right it's all in the waiting and in the suffering that's where all the treasure is yeah you don't find the treasure in the it's not a palm tree that's not where the yeah Well, then we see, let's look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. I think this is humbling. Um, it's rocking the world. Did it rock me out this world? Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe I've got something y'all didn't get. I think I um, might be wrong. No, I've already forgotten what it says. Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. All right, you got it, Ashley? Yeah. Um, Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. 
and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Mm. So what does it say that Jesus learned? So we see Jesus. He learned. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, he learned something through suffering. When what was that thing? He learned this says he learned active special obedience. Mm. Y'all, did anybody else get this? I mean, what he's saying here is Jesus suffered in his flesh as a human to learn a special active obedience so that he could carry out the death on the cross to save us. It was him, that practice of obedience that led up, that equipped him to be obedient even unto death. Yeah. Is that not crazy? Is that what that's saying? Am I making this up? No, you're right. What you just said about the kids, though. You see what you just said? You're teaching your kids to be obedient so they can be obedient to God. It's like Jesus was, in the same way, he was being equipped to be obedient to God. Like, I mean, that's what he was doing anyways. But I'm just saying it was that equipping. He was, even Jesus, the human, I mean, the God of the universe as a human, was being taught to be obedient so that he could fulfill his purpose, his purpose yeah. in this life, which is the salvation of us. And that's in Philippians two eight, the Amplified says, "And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God. Mm. He obeyed even when that caused his death, death on a cross. Wow. Could he have been equipped for death on a cross if he had not gone through this other stuff? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's kind of what it's saying here. I think. Well, he had to be trained. I mean, if he had just the like flesh we are, on, that's awesome. He had the flesh on, so he dealt with the same things that we deal with. That's what it says. Everything. Yeah. So and ha- so I'm sure his flesh, obviously, he did not want to die on the cross. You know, we have we to know it said he cried, right? Yes, but <laughs> obedience means to submit to another's authority. Mm-hmm. So he had to learn that in his mm-hmm. fleshly and he had learned like us to, to trust God. To his father, whom he already wanted to do that. But I bet his flesh was just like ours. Well, yeah. He's prayed with loud cries. I love that. And what's interesting is that, and I think too. It gives me chills. It does. He was like, heard. He was heard. He that, was heard. Yeah, that's what I And it says he cried with loud tears. You think mm-hmm. about him in Gethsemane, like mm-hmm. you said, in that's the garden, mm-hmm. sobbing, sweating tears of blood. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I can't handle this. But nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. Mm-hmm. That submission, it says, God, he heard him, but he said, Jesus, I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to give you what you need to endure this because through your endurance will be the saving of mankind. And it's the fruit on the other side. It was the joy, like we go back to the, the Hebrews 12. The joy set before him is what motivated him, and God equipped him to do that. Holy Epiphany, like, y'all, how does this for, How does this encourage you? Well, <laughs> well, it goes back not to, encourage me look, anymore. your 319 revelation. I don't know if you yeah, get that. <laughs> he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me at my throne, on my throne, mm. just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He overcame the world. He overcame, you know, his human self and, and death. And I mean, it just... Awesome. You know what makes me think of, too? Just like he had to train Jesus, it's like, and look at this huge thing Jesus had to do, right? I mean, something we'll never have to go through. It makes me, like, it gives, encourages me that even I don't have to sit around worrying about the really hard things that I'm going to face in the future. It may be something huge, okay, that I can't handle right now. He's going to train me up to the point where I'm equipped 
to deal with whatever is coming. So there's no reason to look ahead, no reason to look behind. Just keep focused on him and know he is equipping me little by little, day mm-hmm. by day, for whatever he has coming, even if it's my own death one day. In a, in a bad, maybe it's dying as a martyr. I don't know. I'm not ready for that right now. Well, maybe I'm, I'm not sure. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I know that whatever is coming, I will be equipped in the same way Jesus was equipped to face something that I will never have to face. Right. That's encouragement. It's so encouraging. We all let's. I'm gonna um on number seven. I'm gonna kind of like at the very end if we have time combine combine those two. Yeah. It's kind of similar. Let's look at Psalm fifty one one through four. And I love this passage. I have gone back to this a million times. Um, and this is when David, when uh Nathan, right, the prophet Nathan comes to uh, David and he gives this example of oh somebody took this poor lady's only lamb that she had, and even though he had a bunch of lambs, he wanted this lady's lamb and and it was the only one left. And David gets outraged and then he's like, "You are that person mm-hmm. because he had taken um, Uriah's wife Bathsheba, had impregnated her, and then had him put on the front line of um, a battle to have him killed." So that he could have his wife without looking bad, right? So he could get away with his sin. He murdered someone and committed adultery and has yet at this point to be called out. But Nathan has brought this to his attention. God, using Nathan, has is finally made David see the depth of his sin. Does somebody want to read that for us? Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. So what is David saying when God confronts him through Nathan? What, was, what were the key points here in his response? What stood out to you? You're right in what you're saying. Your your judgment is faultless. You're justified. You're right. I was it so he's confessing, I'm admitting my guilt. Which I think is so cool. I love how God brings it it to his attention before he even begins for the for the discipline to come. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it's it didn't he, hit him out of left field. Exactly. It's right. not like God just was like your baby like his baby didn't just die. Yeah. He's yeah. like he wanted David to like literally Dig in and see the depth and pain of his sin. Bird, what are y'all looking at? <laughs> a big bird flew underneath um, us. Right. So I like that part right there, but I just think, I just love how he's like, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm begging mm. you for mercy, and I want you to cleanse me. Do do your mm. thing with me. Make me right. I'm, I'm dirty, you have clean to do. me. Mm. And that's humility. All right. It is humility. Anything else stand out to y'all? Is there anything else in those verses? Well, he does say in a little bit further down, you um, you teach me wisdom in the inmost places. And, I mean, you know, he's so gentle in his discipline, you know. For and, murder. <laughs> yeah. For murder and adultery. Can we just point that out here? We're acting like we're just reading like a sin. Yeah. Murder and adultery. And God's gentle. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. And I think uh, what stands out to me, and I've heard this in a sermon once, it says, against you and you alone I have mm-hmm. sinned. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's break that down for a second. We know that God's not the only one that he sinned against, right? He wasn't, it's not like he's like, man, I got caught. Oh, I ruined Bathsheba's life. 
God, Uriah killed. Man, I feel really bad about that. No, he. who did he see the sin was against? God. It was God. And, and what was the sin against God? It was, you're not enough for me, God. Right? What mm-hmm. you gave me is not enough. That I have to step outside Adultery of your will and-, and, and, and take these things that don't belong to me mm-hmm. and try to uh, compensate for that sin and clean up my sin. I'm trying to be God. I am playing God and you you are God. So for him, that that leads me to number the the next question. When we talk about repentance and confession, y'all, there's a major difference, right? Um, we see David is truly repentant here. So what is the difference in plain confession and repentance? So I looked it up, and repentance is an action, sincere regret and remorse, mm-hmm. but confession is admitting of sin with repentance that leads to absolution is what I had. Right. Mhm. So confession um like and your what you just said can absolutely lead to repentance. That's the, what David did. The first thing he does, he confesses, right? But however, not all confession leads to repentance mm-hmm. in a sense. Let's think about this. Repentance is when we is is a is when we are we tur- we turn from our sin yeah. and we turn to God, mm-hmm. right? It's an action. So the so a confession can is when hey, can you got caught like David? He got caught. God truly gave him remorse, godly remorse for that, right? So he repented. But do we see in life how many times can you think of when somebody? Could it be a couple and there was, you know, something going on there, infidelity or in a situation with uh, anything that where the, another person got caught? Do you see the difference? So people are sorry for getting caught right. versus sorry for what they actually did. Uh, witness well, this repentance truly really is turning away. Yeah. I mean, even, can, even if it's not you something can you can do a, overnight, obviously. like No, you can, and you can yeah. fail. I mean, goodness gracious, yeah, I've got repetitive sin patterns too, Right. but I constantly go to him and I'm just like, can you please help me avoid this next time when it's, it's my fault? You know, he, he gives me all the ways out, but repentance would be sincerely turning away the action of turning away. And then the absolution is what follows, which is a release from guilt and obligation Mm. and, or punishment release, which is so wonderful. And don't you think maybe that is the fruit of knowing true repentance? Yes. That, when you are released from it. Because yeah. when you keep confessing, oh, I called again doing this, or oh, I did this again. But there's not there. Mm-hmm. You still carry that shame, that guilt, that condemnation. To me, it's because it maybe it's not true repentance. Oh, yeah. I'm about to touch on the next question. Mm-hmm. I found you got the so next good. question? Okay. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. Um, I love this verse because this, again, is kind of touching on the same concept of repentance. You want to read that, Rachel? Second Corinthians seven ten. I have amplified. Is that is that okay? You I guess read we'll, it in we'll be okay with that. Um, <laughs> for godly grief and the pain God has permitted to direct produce a repentance. What was this? Repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil, and it never brings regret. But worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world, is deadly, breeding and ending in death. That was confusing. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read that again, or is that all right? Why don't somebody so have another version, version of that? Yeah. Why don't, Amy, why don't you read your version Very so worried. we get both? Yeah, mine's an American, so I know that. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, 
leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Does that make any more sense? Yes. Can we just talk about it that it says it never brings regret? Mm-hmm. You never regret Listen, it. Well, I, I don't even, I saw it even in a different way. Because it talks about up here that if you look up the definition of repentance, sincere <gasps> no. regret or remorse. But this is saying that with godly repentance, there is no regret. Because guess what? We know he used Genuine it. repentance has occurred, which regret is when you keep right. messing. There's not true repentance. Hmm. You keep, you know you're going to fall back. There's not that true heart change. Once you get through it and you see the fruit, there is no regret. So that's one way to check in what y'all were just talking about. If that sh- there's still that shame, the regret, the ugh, that you haven't made that heart change. And I think that, like, when I read that, I was like, that was another mind-blowing moment. I don't know why. I just It never p- jumped out to me because they, right. they act like the definition is to have sincere regret. But that's not really godly repentance. That's maybe what the definition of repentance is in the dictionary. But mm-hmm. godly repentance doesn't involve regret. It just involves change and the joy that comes from that change. Well, in, in this in this verse, it's making a very clear distinction between the sorrow that God provides, which would be the sorrow of like right. David, right? Right. So Versus what is the that sorrow, sorrow of the world. What is godly sorrow? And what is what is worldly sorrow and what is godly sorrow? Well, to me I just think godly sorrow once again is understanding that you hurt God, mm-hmm. that you disobey God, that number one, every Every time we mess up, that's a sin that he literally paid for in hell. Right. But to me, worldly sorrow is that, dang, I got caught, and now I'm going to have to pay a consequence. Right. That's the difference to me. Right. It's a sorrow, so godly sorrow inspires change. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a sorrow that you know you've grieved God, and it inspires change and hope. Yeah. We're a worldly sorrow, like you said. That, to me, is a more of a confession, like, Darn, I got caught. Oh, no. You mean now I have to deal with this because something stupid I did? It's not like, hey, God, I see that I did this against you and you alone the way that David said his sin was against. It wasn't just about the, the earthly circumstance. It was God, you know, I have broken our trust by doing this. So let's look at the last question and kind of combine it with uh, number seven. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on it because I know all of us are very transparent and we can spend lots of times telling all of those dumb things we've done to cause suffering in our lives. <laughs> but can you think of anything specific where you, where suffering was brought on because of your decisions where you had to be disciplined and how, ha- and, and how did that lead, lead you to a specific repentance? Do you have any situations in your life that you can recall where it's like, okay, wow, I did this stupid thing and God brought it to my attention and this is how he disciplined me and this is how I, did it lead you to repentance? I'd like to get mine over with. Okay. So. Okay, go. <laughs> it's quick. My whole life I've read, do not fear, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lead on your own understanding. We do not fear how many times? I mean, like 365 times. I mean, that's kind of a command, right? I mean, it doesn't say, you try not to fear because blah, blah. It says do not fear. I never took that seriously. I never really thought about it. And I spent my whole life uh, trying to reason out everything, trying to figure everything out, obsessively trying to fix or get control over things in my life. And 
entertained fear as a coping mechanism to think that somehow I thought fearing would make things not happen if I feared it would happen. I know that's very superstitious, but I kind of had that, I've had that my whole life. Like somehow worrying about it means it's not going to happen. Well, finally I had a nervous breakdown and lost my mind. So <laughs> God's like, Here's oh, consequence. and literally I remember reading one night and it was like, God does not give us a spirit of fear. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you're saying every time I don't fear, that's not God. I don't know why that slapped me in the face, but I'm like, fear is a liar. I kind of actually really understand what it does. That song me when it's like fear is a liar. Mm -hmm. Like I've been entertaining lies my whole life and even using it as a way to quote, protect myself. And I had to literally lose my freaking mind for me to wake up and listen to God. where he's like, do not fear. Trust me. Rely on me and not on your understanding. And uh, so that's mine. Rachel, well, I don't even have to talk then. Mine's the same as you. <laughs> Twinning, again, with mutual sins here. Same thing God taught me <laughs> through my health anxiety. Um, what about y'all? Have you seen anything specific in your life where God's just like... I mean, really, if we... To just kind of bring this whole thing full circle is disciplining my children, which is what we been talking about this whole time and I I think I did discipline out of a a lack of knowledge because I wasn't disciplined so I disciplined out of anger and and to derive a particular behavior and that's that was wrong and and you know really through the help of some children um, my children's teachers and we watched some Paul Tripp videos and just a bunch of stuff that kind of just shined a light on what I was doing and and really my husband too and that we were the face of Jesus to our children Mm -hmm. and that I think when he helped me to see that I I changed the way that I disciplined and it was um, I think Paul Tripp says and it's an opportunity for discipleship which is what we're talking about right now it's not you know, to get them to modify their behavior. And I think that was just eye-opening for me. And so, I mean, I'm not not to say that I don't still yell and get mad and, you know, smash the pimento cheese on the counter like I did this morning. But, <laughs> you know, I, I have changed for the most part in my disciplinary, you know. Anyway, at least it was just pimento cheese and not somebody's face. Well, I could see the way my kids reacted to me, the way they've changed their posture. Even often, um, for a long time, I would go to kiss her goodbye, and she would just tilt her head down and make me kiss her hair. And then finally, as she realized she was safe with me, she kissed me on the lips and Mm -hmm. hugged me, and I just thought... Oh my gosh, you know, I'm so glad they're so forgiving um of us, you know, that they will come back to us. Um so that was that was mine. Sweet. Amy <laughs> I know, right. Um anything you wanna share? Not no pressure. Oh yeah, I mean good grief. I've had so many stupid things that I've done where it's brought shame and embarrassment and <laughs> and yeah, and so he's he's worked on me on specific ones because of I had to deal with the consequences. And but the great discipline, you know, in having a consequence is the way that I did is that I never 
want to go down that path again right. and experience that pain and mm. suffering and shame and embarrassment again. So I'm thankful that he didn't give up on me because had I continued going down that path, it would have been irreparable. Right. Mm. He literally yanked me. Mm. I mean, it was obvious. It's like and literally it's just saving you. It's like mm-hmm. the, That's all it was. the shepherd yeah. example with the sheep, how yes. the sheep will try to get out of his arms and he's like, so he will literally tie them up. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, you know, the sheep feels like, why are you doing this to me? You're hurting me. He's like, no, I am literally saving you right now because you're out of control. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he that's how that. he does it. And when you're going through it, you're like, why are you doing this to me? But when you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, you saved me. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, I've been there too. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't have pulled myself out, but he did. Oh, yes. I was, Yes. He he was running after me the entire mm. time, and thank goodness he put, you know, basically a brick wall, and I ran right into it. But, oh, I mean, I remember even in the midst of me trying to continue down the same sin mm. path, my own spirit, I could feel it mm. in myself, crying out there. Mm. Mm. And I just kept going. Like it's like your flesh, flesh and spirit to fight. Mm-hmm. I was just burning the road. And he finally, I mean, it wasn't that long, and he... Where so would we be without his discipline? We would be would in we hell. Be dead? Well. I mean, dead. In yeah. hell, for sure. Yeah. Here and after. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me read one more proverb, 23, yeah, 13 out, through Ashley. 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. And, I mean, this is for our salvation. This isn't even just for our own good. This is for our salvation. It's for the, for the for his glory because we're going to influence other people and um, mm-hmm. you know and for our hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. And that's our own rod's hope. not a real rod. Okay, <laughs> we don't punish our kids with rods. Thought about that. We had a we had a, we'll we had a great about. talk about that. Okay. Coming and next right time. I knew you were. I didn't want to say anything, but anyway, side combo. But let's I thought um, of that. Let's, we'll chat. Let's close out, y'all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll close us out in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your discipline. We thank you for this time together to talk about discipline and dive in and appreciate it and really shine a light on what it is, Lord, that it's teaching and correction and guidance that's for our own good, for our hope and our salvation, Lord. And we thank you. Um, that you love us enough to discipline us and help us to submit to your ways because you do have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, Lord. We just ask that those that are out there listening today would take these messages to heart, Lord, and and also thank you for your discipline and your love, Lord. We just ask you to protect us and bless us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.